it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to go over. Charles Gasparino's just getting out of the shower. He's going to give us five great minutes. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West at the bottom of the hour. And, of course, you at 1-866-408-7669. Happy to be with you on this Tuesday. And uh, in terms of discussing, we could say this. So far, the market's up 104 points. I couldn't say the market's up at all on Monday. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President Biden, he is saying he's going to run again in 2024. Will you support him? You know, if the president chooses uh, to run again in 2024, I mean, first of all, I'm focused on winning this majority right now uh, and preserving a majority this year in 2022. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, and that's not going to happen, by the way. Biden bumbling has Dems virtually guaranteeing he will be in lame duck status shortly, especially if they have a blowout during the midterms. What does that mean for his party? And Trump's rebirth, who, uh, who, by the way, virtually admitted he's running again yesterday. Number two. I think there's a legitimate reason for having a relationship with Saudi Arabia if you're the president of the United States. Is there a legitimate reason for Phil Mickelson to have this relationship with Saudi Arabia or for Greg Norman to? No, there's no serious purpose for it. Again, this is simply greed, no more, no less. Really? Hypocrisy. That's the only consistent thing in the PGA live controversy. Critics are slamming the Saudi-based live league, but they say nothing when it comes to the relationship with the PGA and NBA. And what about all the soccer teams? that are owned by Saudis or royal family members of the UAE and China. I'll break down the double standard. Number one. Secretary Yellen said this week that, quote, there is nothing to suggest a recession is in the works. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. (laughs) When inflation is as high as it is right now and unemployment is as low as it is right now, it's almost always been followed within two years by recession. Yeah, Lawrence uh, Summers continuing to ride a hot streak. Too bad that the truth hurts so much to every American. The economy stressing this nation is stressing this nation in a way I've not seen before. Not only is Joe Biden not getting a pass from Republicans, he's not getting much support for Democrats either. Does anyone have any answers? That's why I'm ch- turning now to Charles Gasparino of FBN. Charles, do you have any answers from the from the inflation rate? Uh, to the price of gas, please provide our audience some answers. Um, well, it, 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 I think the best way to put this, and this is going to be harsh, okay, and just so you know, I'm a cancer survivor, so I can talk a little bit about this, is um, when you get a bad case of cancer, you have to get chemotherapy to yep. get rid of it. And it's a nasty, it's not fun, okay? It's, it's grueling, but it's necessary. Okay, and that's kind of what the U.S. economy is likely to go through in the next uh, six months to a year. Um, What's necessary to get rid of inflation, because inflation is worse than a recession. You could have a a 
sort of tamped down, it leads to an, a recession anyway because people stop working, uh, businesses can't get cut back. It's 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 a it's a vicious cycle, and then you get inflation and a recession. So what policymakers try to do is they try to soft land the recession, uh, right. soft land the economy, create a smaller recession, a smaller slowdown. They usually don't do that. It usually ends up to be a modest recession. Uh, as they raise interest rates, things come down to normal. Asset prices come down. Your Bitcoin goes from 60000 to 20000 or less. Uh, your meme stocks that should never have traded at AMC at $77 comes down to $7. And that's what's happening now. Housing prices come down because borrowing costs go up. And the economy normalizes. Um, right. And that's the best case scenario. Now, here's the scenario that I talked about in my New York Post column today. You know, if the Fed doesn't try to do this, okay, the policymakers, the bond market will do it for you. Bonds will trade off. If bonds trade off, they go down in price, the interest rate goes up, and that spikes dramatically all the interest rates on everything you borrow at. That means corporations borrow at much higher rates. That means they don't expand. It means housing prices go down because people can't borrow at a reasonable rate. Right. The bond market will do it for you, and here's why. Because bond investors know that inflation, if they keep buying bonds, inflation will eat at their investment because these are fixed-income investments. They pay an annual uh, – they, they, you get back your money at the end of your term, 10 years, 30 years, plus you get a fixed amount of money every quarter. Inflation eats through all that. That's why bonds are so important here. They're overlooked. And what I wrote today is that if the Fed doesn't try to land this thing, even if it's a little bit of harsh landing, the bond market will do it a lot harsher. Well, the thing is, and Charles, with, but, right, now. right, Charles Gasparino, our guest. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of the Fed, uh, it's up to them to raise interest rates. Are they doing it? And are right. they the cause of what we're experiencing now? Mohamed El Arian weighed in over the weekend. He's the alliance... Uh, uh, Alina's chief yes, economic advisor. Here, cut seven. I mean, what makes this very frustrating is it was partially avoidable. Um, this is going to have enormous economic, social, it hits the poor particularly hard, institutional and political consequences. And most of it could have been avoided had early actions been taken. The Fed is yet to explain to us why it got its forecast so wrong for so long. And is part of the reason why the rates did not go up and that the Fed's been wrong is because Powell wouldn't have kept his job had he ra- uh, jacked up rates right when President Biden was evaluating him? Oh, you're being so cynical there, Brian. Powell, a little bit. I'm talking to the ultimate <laughs> cynic right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it. Um, you know, there's a degree of incompetence here. He was never, you know, Jerome Powell, Powell's not an economist and uh you know, and, and if you if you go back and listen to some of the things he was saying over the over the years, um, he was actually talking about how good the modern 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 monetary method of of economics really was, and that's where it says that it doesn't matter how much money you print, how much how low you take interest rates, how much we spend, the Fed could just keep buying the this, the the debt of the U.S. and it's not going to have an inflationary impact. He really was he was really embracing that modern modern monetary theory. Uh, so some of it's incompetence. Some of it is needing his job. Either way, he screwed up. But the reason why he really screwed up is because, you know, he, he actually endorsed some of the stupid spending that was going on. 
Um, and and you know you got to you got to blame Trump a little bit for this too because you know it was Trump that was putting the, the pedal to the metal as he was leaving office when it was pretty clear the economy was on a pretty firm footing. Uh, we were we had vaccines that were going to open up the economy. Okay, they didn't work right. great on Omicron, but they worked they, they pretty good on the first two variants. And the, 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 we were going to open up, so that was going to be a stimulus in of itself. So Trump started pushing some some spending at the end, and then Biden went whole hog into it. And on t- when you double when you when you combined the, the the massive amounts of spending from mostly Biden, but to some degree Trump, and the mo- the monetary stimulus of of Powell that he had no idea this would cause a recession, a, a massive inflation. Because remember, people were going back to work at that point. As much of it, you know, as much of the pandemic was still scary. People were, businesses were opening up. He really missed the boat. So now he's in a pickle. There's really nothing. He Is there panic, you think, in the time. White House? Do you think there's panic there, Charles? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they are. They, they have no idea. You know, and, and they know they're stuck in a box here. And here's the interesting thing. If it were... Now, here's where I would say it would be positive if Trump was in there. If Trump was in there and you had a Republican Congress, they would probably cut taxes. They would probably loosen up regulations. They would do stuff that would increase what's known as the supply side of the economy or try to goose it that way. So the Fed didn't have to like essentially slow everything down to get inflation under control. Remember, there's demand and supply. Right. If the demand outweighs the supply, you can try to increase the supply of goods. Right. One way to do that is to lower regulations and less taxes. I think that's what a Republican Congress and, and Trump would do to take some of the load off the Fed so it doesn't have to depress the, the, the demand side so much. But because that policy is off the table, I mean, the Democrats will not drill. Democrats will not cut taxes. Democrats will not increase regulations, decrease regulations. As a matter of fact, they're doing all the opposite of that. The only game in town right now is the Fed to decrease demand, and the only way you decrease demand is to essentially impose economic austerity and, and a recession. I got to just—I know you got to run, but I got last question. I thought about you on Friday when the president of the United States just took aim at Exxon and all the oil and gas companies that are making profits, right. and Bernie Sanders yesterday saying, "I time to call them in and demand some of their profits." But yeah, tell everyone so the reality of oil and gas. They're not being like, selfish. You know, They've been marginalized, and now the price is going up. But between the permits that they have, the leases that they have, they can't get permits for. So it doesn't benefit right. them to start drilling. And, and that's a, and that's that's a good point. And you know, they don't know what regulations are coming down. Because yeah. we have a president in office that you know said, "I want to put them out of business." You know, Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary, is talking about electric vehicles. Even Elon Musk, the king of electric vehicles, knows that that's so impractical. Okay, he knows that average people right now cannot just transition to electric vehicles. We need, or just turn on the switch. We need to transition. If you want to go to zero carbon footprint in the future, and this just shows you how crazy the Democrats are, you really need a transition. Everybody is saying it. Even ESG proponents are saying it. But this is an administration that wants the light switch up, off, and on because guess what? The environmental lobby um, controls them. So, in the absence of more supply of oil, which they, which government is actually controlling, okay, not, not the oil companies because they would drill. Um, you have oil, which is traded on the open market, uh, you know, essentially going up in price. You know, the, the, that's just the, that's just the reality. Yeah. And if they really, again, if they really wanted to deal with this, they would loosen up regulation. And by the way, that doesn't mean oil will flow immediately, but because the markets trade on the futures. 
on the future of oil, they would trade – oil would go down because it's going to price in future supply, and that's just the way capitalism works. The markets, right? We're not in – probably not in a, a technical recession right now, okay? But the markets are pricing in a recession, and that's how capitalism works. You know, I think Joe Biden, you would think that he would know a little – he's in his mid-70s. <laughs> he know a little bit about this. But if you think about it, he was always like a government creature. I mean, his whole family benefits off him off of crony capitalism. They're not like entrepreneurs. You know, they, they, you know, they do all these business deals based on you know government contracts and things of that and connections. So he really is a bad president for for this moment. Right. And Kamala Harris is probably worse. And then on top of it all, he surrounds himself with people like Johnny Yellen, who uh, is so academic she has no clue what's going on. Brian Deese, who's in the uh, National Economic Council, who essentially and Jared uh, Bernstein. Yeah, but oh God, but I mean, but think about this, Brian Deese. If you look at him, he worked at BlackRock, the big money management firm, but he wasn't a money manager. He was a guy that was forcing the money managers to adopt ESG into their money management decisions, which is uh, which is like environmental social government uh, screens in their decisions. So in, so they would go to Exxon and say, well, we're not going to buy a stock at this level, but we're going to proxy you. We're going to we're going to try to change your ch- change the the board if you don't cut back on your carbon footprint. That was what ESG, and that's what he did. So this guy is, is kind of a he's, a he's an activist in a sense that's in the White House. I, I, I guess scary. so, but I just thought they'd have a survival instinct. Let me put somebody around me that, uh, for example, uh, Reagan. Reagan helped put his hand, put great people around him. No one expected him to do everything and be a, a minute-by-minute guy like Carter. I thought he would just surround himself with what he considered an A-team, but we don't have that at all. And and yeah, I think I mean, it's, it's up to the – doesn't scary. anyone have a survival Obama, instinct, Charles? Even Obama surrounded himself with some pretty smart people who, yeah, were liberals and progressives, yeah. but they were – you got, I mean, he certainly, Larry Summers was part of his cabinet. You know, um, he was, I can't remember exactly what he did during the, the Obama years, but he was one of the, 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 you know, he was, he might have been at NEC. I, I can't remember, but he was there, you know. Um, and so it, it is, uh, Tim Geithner, you know, say what you want about Tim Geithner. He's, he's not a, you know, he's not a, not some sort of a activist progressive, you know, looking to impose these policies through an economic lens. Uh, so it is a it's a scary situation. It's a, a competent president, obviously. Um, gotcha. Competent people is number two is pretty incompetent. And we're and we're all suffering because of it. Yeah, but yeah. you know that's the way politics works. You get what you get. listen. People voted this guy in office. I mean, not now you know pay the price. All right, Charles Gasparino. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, pick up his column today in the in the New York Post. Watch him all over the channel. Charles, thank you. All right, Brian, Brian. You got it. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West at the bottom of the hour. But here's the good news. You're next. one 408 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I know that many of you have uh, strong, well, many people have strong opinions, emotions about my choice to uh, go forward with Live Golf. And uh, I understand and I respect that. I am incredibly grateful for the PGA Tour and for the many opportunities that it has provided me uh, through the years. Um, but I am excited about this new opportunity as well. So that was uh, Phil Mickelson, some of the high pro- one of the high-profile players that decided to play in the Live Tour, which is about eight events going to be this year. It's bought by Saudi uh, money, and it's also uh, where Greg Norman heads up. Um, DeChambeau was in there. Bryson DeChambeau was in there. You have uh, Dustin Johnson's over there. You have Sergio Garcia over there, and they've been suspended by the PGA, but not Phil Mickelson because he's got a lifetime exemption uh, not only to be on the tour, but especially to play in the U.S. Open next week. He says he expects to play. But I just find it unbelievable that everyone is being so sanctimonious about the Saudis. We have the president of the United States going over there to beg them to pump more. We had the previous president talking with the Saudi Arabia in order to combine with Israel to isolate Iran and recognize Israel right to exist and establish trade relationship. There was no outrage. Now, with that, Khashoggi gets murdered. It's brutal. They had a bunch of hijackers there. It's horrible. But we've reestablished relations with them. Do you go and not see Sheffield uh, United over in England? Uh, it looks like, I think, Aston Villa, oh, excuse me, Newcastle FC. It looks like one of the royal family, the Saudi royal family, is about to buy Newcastle FC. Manchester City is owned by a UAE prince. So why all of a sudden are you jumping on Phil Mickelson? It didn't stop Rory McIlroy from going after him. Cut 16. Yeah, this is the day I'll remember for a long, long time. Uh, 21st PGA Tour win, uh, one more than someone else. Uh, that gave me a little bit of extra incentive today, and I'm um, happy to get it done. Uh, that was, uh, I guess, one more than Phil Mickelson. I guess that's who you're referring to. Uh, excuse me, one more than Greg Norman. Okay, that's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, also, Greg Norman never won a major here. But Greg Norman was, pretty, uh, was always pretty impressive as a golfer, one of the finest athletes, period. I look forward to talking to him about it, but right now it's been a PR challenge for everybody, including the PGA, to try to stay above it, but yet identify there's a league threatening it. Much like the USFL did, the NFL, the World League did, the NFL that we've seen with other sports, the ABA and the NBA. We'll see who's going to prevail here. I'm Brian Kilmeade. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. What's with Ukraine? How do they get back on the offensive and reestablish the optimism they had earlier on in this war? We'll discuss it in the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm joining you a few weeks after an 18-year-old white supremacist who was indoctrinated by Tucker Carlson and Fox News. 
in Buffalo and committed a massacre. Really? On the exact day five years ago when Steve Scalise was nearly assassinated by Senator Bernie Sanders supporter Corey Bush, who's an embarrassment to all of Missouri, if they were sober enough to understand that she represents the defund the police movement, made those statements in Washington yesterday. Joining me now, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director. Congressman, welcome back. It's always good to be with you, and happy Flag Day, and today is the 247th birthday of the United States Army. Right, and first off, uh, what about the marching orders Corey Bush just said? The killer in Buffalo was indoctrinated by Tucker Carlson and and inspired by Fox News? Well, that is absolutely despicable and an egregious uh, statement, but let's uh, tell the truth about Corey Bush. Corey Bush is the individual that was leading the violent marches and protests there in St. Louis that was ended with uh, the death of David Dorn. Uh, the police captain that was there. She also led the violent mob against the uh, McCloskey family, not just once, but a second time when when they came back. And they were threatening to murder them, to burn down their house, and even to rape her. And so the fact that she is now a member of the United States House of Representatives, that's an incredible indictment on this Democrat Party, this progressive socialist party that embraces the mob, that embraces violence. And let's uh, remember that it was violence Vice President Kamala Harris, who was a senator, was out there raising funds to uh, for bail money to, to get these violent protesters released. So to try to indict Fox News and Tucker Carlson and everything, this is absolutely horrific. But again, look at the history and the background of Cori Bush. Right. Uh, yeah, she's an embarrassment. Big to fund the police person. Never backs off. It embarrasses the whole party. And for some reason, the, the press is willing to give her a pass. Joe Biden never says to fund the police, but she never he never condemns her for saying it. So I want to bring you to this gun yeah. legislation they're working on. Just give people at home what the outline looks like. It would incentivize states to use past red flag laws that were designed to keep guns out of the hands of individuals who pose a threat. Support for state crisis in, uh, intervention orders, investment in children and family ment- mental health services, protections for victims of domestic violence, uh, funding for school board mental health and supportive services, funding for school safety resources, clarification on the definition of federally licensed firearms dealers. And under 21, you have an enhanced review process that would allow you to look into your juvenile and mental health records. Uh, from what you see, do you think this is progress? You know, not really, Brian. Uh, you know, the thing is, we have laws that are on the on the books. It's just about uh, you know following those laws. And I give you a great case in point: the uh, shooter down in Uvalde, Texas. First and foremost, he had five or six call-outs to his house. Th- that's an indicator and warning. Right. But the other thing that is very disturbing is the fact that he was living with his grandfather. His grandfather had a criminal record, and his criminal record meant that he could not, his grandfather could not purchase weapons, and he could not have weapons around him. That's the exact same address that this shooter put down on his background check form. Now, why did that address not send up some type of indicator warning and deny him the ability to be able to purchase as weapons. And it's just the same thing as what we saw in Parkland. 20-some-odd so, call-outs to so the So just to go, go through shooter. the process, because uh, you, you're very familiar with gun purchases and ownership. So, yeah. Colonel, I walk into a gun shop, and uh, if I'm 18, mm-hmm. they're not supposed to be able to look at my juvenile record, which is nuts. We have to change that. Don't you agree? 
Yes. Okay, that, good. That, absolutely. Now, so, that's one thing that I think should be changed. Good. So that's and in there. it should be updated. And you, you must like the fact that uh, protections, uh, you must like the fact that there's going to be investment in children, family, mental health services, uh, funding for school-based mental health and supportive services, the funding for school safety resources. That stuff you like, right? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we're trying to get going down here in Texas is a school marshal program. So and when you think about today being the Army birthday, think about all the Army veterans that are out there that you could hire to, to go and do uh, the job of securing yeah. our schools. Absolutely. I'm for those. Yeah, things. under 21 enhanced review process. I don't mind extra scrutiny. They didn't ban it. Uh, they didn't say you can't have an AR-15. They said extra scrutiny for it to make sure there's nothing in your background. That would have stopped the shooter in Buffalo because they would have said a year ago they were brought in for intense questioning for two and a half hours by state police. So that would be, uh, that would be something that might be a positive. What they did reject is the 21-day waiting period. They re- did reject a ban on high-capacity magazines. They did reject mm-hmm. universal background checks, safe storage requirements, criminal penalties for storing firearms uh, properly, not storing firearms properly in your home, and a license requirement to purchase an assault weapon. So all that stuff Senator Corner wouldn't agree to. So this is what they're going to bring forward. Uh, here is, uh, I want you to hear what uh, Chris Murphy said, cut 40. We've done the heavy lifting here. We have 10 Republicans signed on to this framework, a framework that's going to save lives. These are five important changes in our gun laws, plus billions in mental health funding. And uh, my belief is that we're just going to add Republicans from here on out. So what do you think is going to pass? If this passes, would you think that would be something that you could not support? Well, we've got to see the final legislation because having served up there on Capitol Hill, I understand how people can manipulate language and, and put things in there that get them back to their original positions. And I think that the progressive socialist leftists are not going to agree with this because they want to see, you know, banning. They want to see restrictions on individual rights to own firearms. Uh, but the thing that for me I want to make sure is that we don't go down the path of these red flag laws. Like I've said to you before, for Gary J. Willis, 61 years of age, Ferndale, Maryland, was killed in his home because of a red flag warrant that was served against him at 5 o'clock in the morning. So uh, we don't want to see more repeats of that. Understood. So I want to change gears if I can talk about the January 6th hearings. I think it's absolutely hurting them that they don't have Republicans. It's hurting Democrats because it looks like a infomercial for whatever your point of view is. You, you, you're not, you don't have hearings. You have uh, you have edited packages almost almost because you want to, everyone to understand that it's Donald Trump's fault. Here's what Britt yeah. Hume, uh, the January 6th and everything else was pre-planned. Here's what Britt Hume said that Republicans and you're amongst them, um, you're a Republican. I mean, uh, really want. Mm-hmm. What strikes me about this, Brett, is that. If they succeed, either by damaging him or staining him, such that he is either unable or, uh, for legal or political reasons, to run again, they might end up finding out that they've done the Republican Party a great service. Because I think a great many Republicans think they can't win with Trump at the head of the ticket again. Um, they're, they're afraid of his supporters and don't want to come out against him directly. Um, but they'd like him to go away. If the effect of this committee is to make his possible candidacy go away, I think a great many Republicans would privately be very glad. Well, is is that true, privately, publicly, that the Republicans want to turn the page from Trump? Well, I will tell you this. Um, 
you know, when I look at the Democrats wasting all of these resources and efforts, because this is not about truth, this is about President Trump, uh, then all of a sudden they have wasted a lot of political capital. And what if it ends up being Ron DeSantis? Then what do they do? Uh, and the other thing is this, they're spending a lot of taxpayer-funded money for, like you said, an info, an info commercial, infomercial. And this is not a, a balanced, uh, you know, review of what happened. And this continuing use of the word insurrection, you know, an insurrection means people are carrying weapons right. and arms and things of that nature. If this was an insurrection, it was poorly planned and definitely poorly executed. So I think that the Democrats, yes, they really are doing themselves more damage and more harm. And the American people just aren't focused on January the 6th. The American people are focused on gas prices, on inflation. They're focused on, you know, the fact that they can't get baby formula. I have a one-year-old grandson, and that's a concern for us. So these everyday kitchen table issues are what the American people want to see resolve, not going back two years ago to something that many people have moved past. Right. Uh, even though it was an ugly day in America's history, I know you agree with that. Uh, here's Senator Chris yeah. Coons. He sees a different panel. Listen to this. Cut 30. Look, I think uh, what impressed me about those uh, January 6 hearings, about the first hearing that I watched, uh, was how um, clear and um, nonpartisan and thoughtful and directed it was. I certainly don't think uh, that Congresswoman Cheney or Congressman uh, Kinsinger uh, were trying to impact the midterm election chances of Democrats. You think that? I think they were, absolutely were. <laughs> Look, you know, first of all, he's one of a very few that was watching that. And the other thing is that uh, Congresswoman Cheney and Congressman Kinzinger are, that's hardly the definition of bipartisan. I mean, they are really, this is more personal to them than, than anything else. And the fact that the individuals that Kevin McCarthy had put to be on that panel were rejected by the Democrats just shows that they cherry-picked everyone to be on this uh, this panel. This is not a hearing. This is a production. That's why they brought in that former ABC executive who represented Steve Scalise has asked a very pertinent question. Who is paying this guy? You know, and if and he if he is so-called doing this thing in kind, you can't do this. Uh, that's against the Federal Election uh, Commission law. Right. Uh, and when we look over in uh, when we look over in Texas, the other big story, I think, that's hurting the president's numbers is uh, the border. And now we have another situation yeah. where the biggest caravan maybe ever, 36 miles long, mm-hmm. is in uh, deep into Mexico as it's close to our border. And you see such a lack of strong morale and will with our Border Patrol agents because their their hands are tied. Same with ICE. They're not being allowed to do their job. So, again, this is going to be a huge thing that is affecting Joe Biden and the Democrats because this is intentional. This is purposeful. They're violating the Constitution, Article 4, Section 4. They are not protecting this country and its sovereignty. And what they are doing is aiding and abetting a drug, a human, and sex trafficking crisis. You know, the number one thing that is killing Americans right now is fentanyl. And fentanyl, you know, 100,000 deaths last year, 18 to 45, number one killer. And that's coming in from China to these transnational narco-criminal terrorists, the cartels, and being brought across our border. And so why aren't we dealing with that instead of looking and sending more billions of dollars over to Ukraine, which we're concerned about the people there, but we've got some big concerns here in our country as well. Speaking of countries, let's talk about Ukraine. It looks as though the 
the momentum is, is not there right now. They need weapons that are going to be able to combat the artillery. It looks like the Russians have backed out yep. of their range and hitting from afar because they cannot beat them in close contact. Here's what President Zelensky yep. said, cut 45. In the battles in Donbass, they will surely go down in military history as one of the most brutal battles in Europe and for Europe. Ukrainian army and our intelligence tactically still beat the Russian military. What are your thoughts about the direction this is heading? Well, you know, I, I spent 22 years in the Army as an artillery officer, and what we see the Russian Army doing is what the, the whole Soviet mantra was, just lining up your artillery and just keeping it out of range from enemy fire and pummeling the opposition and bringing, you know, urban centers into, into ruin and rubble. So there are two things that should happen. First and foremost, we should have been giving them the uh, air cover that they wanted with those uh, Ukrainian, uh, not the, the Russian the MiGs. Uh, military aircraft. They, the mix that they requested, and that would have given them the aerial dominance, and they could go after the artillery. And the second thing is to, we should have been providing them, number one, long-range radar acquisition systems, and then also now we're doing it with the MLRS, which you know was a weapon system that I commanded, so that you can have that range parity against the, uh, the Russian artillery. So this is an artillery duel, and they need to have the means by which they can uh, provide the cover uh, for themselves and confront the Russian artillery which is just sitting back pummeling them. All right. Uh, thanks so much, Colonel Allen West. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. And just remember, Army strong today. Yep. Happy birthday, Army. Uh, thanks so much, Colonel Allen West. When we come back, we'll take your calls, one 408 7669 Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm now with you, Joy. Uh Get rid of Republicans. Get rid of the party. Um, The party as it stands now because it's the party of white supremacy. It's the party of insurrectionists. It's the party of of, uh, massacres at this point. It's the party that you just, you can't trust. (laughs) Get rid of Republicans. Well, like Kilmeade's eyebrows, that hasn't aged well. Uh, why do I do this show? I don't know. Because you love me. I have no idea. You love me. Uh, that was from Friday. Uh, that was from Friday's uh, Gutfeld. It, you guys had a lot of fun on that show. Right. I think, yeah, that was, I think it was our most highly rated show I think he had all week. Big story, Makes I sense. think, yeah. Um, but it's kind of weird doing that show with an audience. That studio is, is amazing now. Have you been in it? I have not yet, but they just redid it, right? And yeah, it is absolutely amazing. Uh, so yeah, they it's really it seats about a hundred people. It's packed out. So it, I mean, it was good before. I really think I think on a regular basis of being at least three of the four uh, late night shows. Sometimes all four shows. Here's uh, another one of these shows that I find intriguing because it's swimming against the grain. Is with uh, Bill Moore. This is what he said on HBO last night. Every Friday he does his show. But every once in a while, but almost every show, there's something that will really uh, tick off the Democratic Party. Cut 38. When liberals scream, do something after a mass shooting, why aren't we also dealing with the fact that the average American kid sees 200,000 acts of violence on screens before the age of 18? It's funny. Hollywood is the wokest place on earth in every other area of social responsibility. But when it comes to the unbridled romanticization of gun violence, crickets. 
Weird. The only thing we don't call a trigger is the one that actually has a trigger. Very interesting. I, I mean, the thing that that ticks off the gun people, they don't want any type of red uh, flag laws. But the other thing you got to do is somehow find a way, while not violating people's constitutional rights for the Second Amendment, find a way to get ahead of these lunatics uh, before they do what they did in Uvalde by reporting people when they seem out of whack. Knowing that the guy is going to be 18, be able to buy a gun. You see him dressing all black. You've seen them come to his house four or five times, the police have, to interdict some type of would-be violence. But you know when they turn 18, their background's automatically wiped out. That's why they bring in some type of red flag law and enhance background check if you're under 21. Here's what Senator John Cornyn said. In By the way, he headed up for Republicans uh, this bipartisan effort. Cut 36. 16 states have red flag laws. Texas does not. And they certainly shouldn't miss out on access to those resources for crisis intervention. It's absolutely critical that each and every one of those includes protection that comes from due process of law. And particularly when it comes to the rights of law-abiding gun owners. It's not easy in Texas to head up anything restricting any types of uh, gun rights at all. Uh, yeah, the AR-15, the AR-15 is still in play. There's so much that got rejected with President Biden wanted. The 21-day waiting period, not there. High-capacity magazine ban, not going to happen. Universal background checks is not going to take place. Safe storage requirements for all firearms in the House. But it's assumed that responsible owners are doing that already. Uh, criminal penalties for not storing firearms in the correct place and a license requirement to purchase assault weapons. So all that stuff is not in it. So there's other things are in it. I know people, some people are upset by it. I'm not. I think it's a, a good framework. What do you think? Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, and hopefully in the Ukraine. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Pete Hegseth, as well as his co-author on a brand new book released today, David Goodwin. It's called The Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century of Miseducation. And we're also going to do a simulcast with Barney and Company on FBM. And you can always catch us on Fox Nation. Before we get to Pete and Dave, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. President Biden, he is saying he's going to run again in 2024. Will you support him? You know, if the president chooses uh, to run again in 2024, I mean, first of all, I'm focused on winning this majority right now uh, and preserving a majority this year in 2022. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. That is unbelievable, but expected. That's AOC. Biden bumblings on virtually guaranteeing he'll be a lame duck, especially if he the midterms are a blowout, which many think they will be like me. What does that mean for his party and Trump's rebirth? who, by the way, virtually admitted he's running yesterday. Number two. 
I think there's a legitimate reason for having a relationship with Saudi Arabia if you're the president of the United States. Is there a legitimate reason for Phil Mickelson to have this relationship with Saudi Arabia or for Greg Norman to? No, there's no serious purpose for it. Again, this is simply greed, no more, no less. Richard Haas, a foreign relations expert weighing in on golf. Hypocrisy. That's the only thing you would say with the PGA live controversy. Uh, so far, critics are slamming the Saudi-based live, uh, the live uh, tour, but say nothing when it comes to the relationship with the PGA, NBA, and China. I'll break down both the double standard and the foreign policy implications as the president makes his way over to Saudi Arabia. Number one. Secretary Yellen said this week that, quote, there is nothing to suggest a recession is in the works. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. When inflation is as high as it is right now and unemployment is as low as it is right now, it's almost always been followed within two years by recession. Well, that is Lawrence Summers weighing in. The economy stressing the nation in ways I've not seen before. And only is Joe, and not only is Joe Biden not getting it and getting a pass from Republicans, he's not getting a pass from Democrats either. Does anyone have any answers? The president speaks today. We'll cover it on Flag Day and the birthday of the Army. And as I mentioned in studio, Pete Hegseth is here. He's got a brand new book out called Battle for the American Mind. Uh, he's also here with his co-author, David Goodwin. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Brian. So it's, it's, it's summer. Uh, good news first. Toddlers in New York City can go to school without masks. <laughs> is that too risky? Uh, no. It never was risky. Preschool? Is that, did they just rescind it this so, week? Yeah, it was, yeah, this week they go. They start Monday. It's Which a, I think there's only two weeks left in school. It's an amazing accomplishment. I mean, I think they got ahead of their ahead of the curve on that one. Did your kids have to wear a mask at all? You know what? I'm ashamed to admit that they did. Uh, and I would argue for an entire school year too long. And my wife and I, you know, Jen, I mean, we were embarrassed by it, agitated at the school about it. But in that near term, didn't have another option. Finally, they, they switched and changed. But, yeah, I mean... It's a sin what we did to our kids. Oh, it's unbelievable. And just the last one, one of the producers who we both know is actually crying in my ear when they extended the mask for preschoolers because the kids don't want to deal with it. I mean, how you tell – by the way, it's not protecting them. The masks are over their eyes. They have no <laughs> idea what they're doing. They don't even know what their friends look like. Or their teachers. Or their teachers. If they're a kindergartner. You're right. Uh, but, they, but hey, thank you for having David and I. It's not just Flag Day. Right. It's also the Army birthday. Yes. It's also Donald Trump's birthday. Right. I mean, we demanded. Is that also a national holiday? In our, it is in my household. Okay. In our contract, it must be the trifecta if it's to be our book launch day as well. And you know what's kind of sad, David, is that there was, there was a 1776 commission under President Trump to push back on the 1619. So you're one of the few people I understand that was not surprised by this 1619 uh, movement. You saw this stuff coming. We did. We I, I couldn't have predicted exactly how it came, but uh, we certainly knew that they'd set the beachhead up, uh, and we knew where they were coming. We just didn't know what they were going to do when they got there. When did they start attacking the curriculum in schools? Oh, boy, 1915. They redesigned the curriculum from the ground up uh, at about that time for Gary, Indiana, at a model school that they had there. They ran that for a few years, and when it was successful enough they moved it to new york and that's where a lot of our research came in is what uh, the uh, people of new york were talking about when they brought that here and what year are you talking about 1915 1918 somewhere 1918 in there. Mm-hmm. yeah and then what was the goal Pete? well the goal was societal change it, it was a recognition that uh, 
the traditional values of Western civilization and biblical wisdom prevented the kind of radical social change, atheistic change, frankly, that they wanted. So you had to remove God first. Once you did, there was a lot of power in the classroom. In fact, those early progressives talked about studying what uh, Frances Willard did in 1870s when she put anti-alcohol curriculum in third grade classrooms. Voila, 40 years later, you had a constitutional amendment banning alcohol and the sale of alcohol in America. The philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation can be the philosophy of government in the next. Progressives studied that, targeted the school, removed God, and and then thought the the sky's the limit and look at what we see today. Right. And was there – at one point was drinking allowed in school? Like uh, the early days, do you have your research revealed? Maybe in the one room schoolhouse. Yes. Really, you could bring beer to school on Long Island, right? On Long Island, yes. where I'm from, not Minnesota, <laughs> no. where they grow them bigger. Um, meanwhile, so so when did you first come across David? Well, it was it's actually a product of Fox and Friends. So you might be able to say that because of Brian Kilmeade and Fox and Friends and diner segments, this entire project came together. And I'm not kidding. I was at a diner in North Carolina. I met a wonderful family that went to a classical Christian school there in Whispering Pines. They said, you got to meet this guy, David Goodwin, who wins the, uh, runs the Association of Classical Christian Schools. We connected. I was passionate about education, wanted to get more involved and, and research. He had already done a lot of the research on where this problem came from. And so as we started talking, we thought, man, if we teamed up, this could be really effective. He runs a network of schools, has done the research. We're in the media world. And so his research starts at the beginning. My my stuff starts today. And we basically pulled the threads together of what the progressive movement has done for 100 years, basically meeting together in the 50s and 60s over the unions and, and what the Supreme Court did. But when you when you add it up, it is an intentional project the left has been immensely successful in. But what makes this book special is the research that David did and that I did, we did on what the early progressives' goals were. And you never learn it because progressives write the textbooks, so you don't know the actual and history. And write the history. So Battle for the American Mind – what so? In other words, was this the water gradually get warmer, David, or did it come in blistering hot? Well, um, I, when I started this project, I had heard a lecture where somebody referred to an uh, issue of the uh, New Republic in 1915, and and the word we need to capture the plasticity of the child. And that seemed like a weird word to me. So I started looking into what they were trying to do. That's when I realized it really wasn't about indoctrination, which we hear a lot about today. It was about removing the ability of students to learn to think. Because if they can't think, you know, in the the old system of classical education that had been around for 2,000 years, they trained citizens how to think through issues so that they could vote and and so that they could vote without being persuaded by uh, an eloquent tyrant, if you will. And that was the whole thing is that when you train students that way, they're very hard to control. You can't steer the course you want to steer. And the progressives had a very aggressive plan to steer the course. So, Pete, why do we even have any Republicans? Like, why why are there any conservatives? Why did the conservative movement take such root in the 80s and many people think poised to reestablish itself in the next midterms? Well, it, it a lot of the madness we see Is today— Is it not working? —happened gradually and then suddenly— I think what David and I talk about in the book is something called the Western Christian paideia, and it's a word that's long forgotten, but it's basically the affections or the vision of a good life amongst our youngest kids. 
there was enough of a residue from 1776 and churches and communities and schools. If you went into a school on Long Island in 1900, there's a Bible in the classroom. There's prayer being said. There's history being taught of Western civilization. There was enough residue of that amongst parents and grandparents and others, and then in church and in communities, that the instinct of Americans, the sort of the osmosis and absorbing was there. Hey, I, I want to be free. I believe, you know, God is good. America is is good. That could be channeled. You even saw it. You saw it through Reagan. You saw it through Trump. There, That's still there. But how long can we live off the fumes of that paideia before yep. an indoctrination of a generation of cultural Marxists turns out and says, no, God is dead mm-hmm. and America is evil. It's tough to undo that when you're, t- or men are women and women are men, when you're teaching that to five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, and that's how young they're going at it now. Right. And, David, are you surprised? It seems to be the pandemic working to stop this. Could you describe how the pandemic shed a light on this? Well, uh, Pete brought to the book the idea of the COVID-16-19 effect, which was that suddenly parents who had previously – just like we think of our congressman, right? The Congress is uh, evil, but our congressman's a good guy, right? right. Well, it, the same. There's a, a parallel to that axiom about the public school. The public schools may not be great, but our public school is good, and that was suddenly a uh, uh, torn wide open. They were able to see it sitting behind their kids on a Zoom camera and see what was actually being taught. And that's why, uh, you know, by by a great providence, Pete and I uh, started this project in March of 2020. So. All of if you think about everything that's happened since then, uh, we basically just stepped into the right. We started before all of that was exposed. And as we're writing this book, we couldn't keep up. No. And you're updating chapter after chapter. Things are happening here and there because everything we were writing about seemed to be coming to fruition at a moment. And that is the silver line, Brian. Parents realize it a lot more now. And what we're trying to do with the book is give equip them to make a big choice about how they educate their kids. And then you look at the university, it would happen in Virginia. Yes. I mean, isn't that the the fundamental where the school board flipped and they said, well, Republicans are just uh, trying, you know, trying to insert themselves in a purple state. Republicans would never be able to organize and target school boards. Are you kidding? Yeah, and I think it gives me hope that finally the issue of education will translate into a priority in electoral politics. It just hasn't been. It hasn't been for conservatives, Christians, patriots, and as a result, the Democrats and their union allies have ta- – I, I can't underscore this enough – have taken over every single institution of education that controls K-12 through on the public and government side. Every single one. Testing, standards, curriculum, pedagogy, teachers' colleges, you name it. They control it, which is why our part of the solution is you've got to consider a tactical retreat, leave if you can, find alternatives, and eventually educational choice is going to be critical. And Republicans, conservatives should be running on that as their top issue because if we lose the kids, we lose the country. And also what about charter schools? Where do you guys stand on that? Is that a, is that a relevant and uh, ample pushback, David? Well, I think in the battle, as we've called it, and it was great to co-author this with a <clears throat> former military guy. Um, I think in the terms of a battle, you've got to use all the resources that you've got at your disposal, and charter schools are certainly one of those. But I think that we are prescribing the book more of a transformational change than a uh, incremental change. I think it's it's long past time that we do something transformational in education in America, and I think charter schools can help with that. But I think at the at bottom, parents have to take a much more serious look at things. Right. The other thing is they're not being funded. 
now more and more of these cities are walking away from charter school funding, that, which makes absolutely no sense. Because they want the monopoly to continue. The monopoly on the minds, the monopoly on the money, on kids, because outcomes, they lo- long ago, they've known for decades their schools don't work. Right. They know they don't work. They haven't delivered ex- excellence for, for half a century, and they know it. It is now about consolidation of that power. COVID showed it with unions. You're talking about kids two years old in masks in New York City. They feel like they've got open season to push that control. And what David is talking about is playing within that system. You're going to play within their confines. I went to public school. You went to public school, I think, Brian. Yep. We got progressive educations. You may not have known it. I didn't know it. We did. Every assumption of that education was progressive, which is why the classical Christian schools David is 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 helming, they've overturned the apple cart completely to rediscover a form of education that created the miracle moment of 1776. It was classical Christian education that educated our founders. A lot of Scottish, right? Mm-hmm. The Scottish influence. <laughs> yep. Um, and by the way, I'm so glad I didn't pay attention in school, or I would have been totally there screwed. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the upside, I never yeah, thought of it that yeah, way. Think about that. Uh, the Harvard Youth Poll you have in your book, only 31% of Americans 18 to 24 have a positive uh, outlook on America. That's unbelievable. It's, it's also in this. When we come back, well, we'll talk about that as well as the role of Howard Zinn in all this. And, and by the way, you had your special on on Sunday, correct? Yes, David. Is that also going to be well? archived on Fox Nation? On Fox Nation right now. And it's called? Battle, sorry, Miseducation of America. Got it. Uh, Back in a moment uh, with uh, Pete and David. Their book, Battle for the American Mind, is out now. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 We'll be able to take calls shortly. A few more minutes with Pete Hegseth and David Goodwin. Hey, guys, you wrote The Battle for the American Mind. Where does the uh, Common Core come in? I remember Jeb Bush ran about Common Core. Uh, it comes in toward the end as part of the consolidation of federal control, right? So we think of schools as having effectively being local control, local school boards, local, local superintendents, uh, state assemblies are setting the prerogatives. Common Core attempted to tie money towards certain standards that states would enact in order to align with the prerogatives of federal educators. And along with that came changes to the SAT, right. which now aligns to Common Core. But inside all of that Common Core curriculum and prerogatives were the diversity, equity, inclusion, and all the woke stuff we barely knew anything about at that time. Am I, David, you can add anything to that. You know it well. Well, it's, you know, it was kind of a backdoor to deal with uh, some of the disparities um, between the various uh, ethnic groups in that by creating a test you can study for, which the SAT was always supposed to be a test that you couldn't study for, by creating one that you could study for, and that's what the Common Core was, is a set of standards. When you look at the standards, they don't seem that bad, but when you when you see what they're doing, they're taking reasoning, which is what the original SAT measured. They're taking that out because reasoning is not teachable, and they're replacing it with content, and therefore uh, it's really supposed to be leveling the playing field, but it really doesn't do that. I mean, some of the talk was, well, rich people can get people to teach them to, uh, how to take the SAT, and it wasn't fair. Uh, there's always going to be an opportunity to do additional uh, training on reasoning mm-hmm. or approaching a test. There's no doubt. I mean, that's, that's the reality of money and wealth and inequality and all that. The idea of the 
of the SAT was to measure not whether or not the uh, the engine could run, but how well it runs and measuring how well you can reason. That is a reflection of the type of education you got K through 12. We should do better on educating kids K through 12 so they reason the same when they encounter the SAT across all right. racial backgrounds as opposed to changing the SAT mm-hmm. and making it – dumbing it down so that it goes to the lower common, lowest common denominator. So final thought, uh, David, is there a chance that this thing's going to push back the more you expose people to the reality? There's going to be a pushback in schools will start taking shape in a way in which benefits the country and the family? Well, I think the the best chance is if people get into classical schools and see what's going on for themselves, they can compare and contrast very easily. Just spend some time in the classrooms because it's very different when your kids are full of wonder, they love beauty, and they can reason well. That's You will be demoralized when you read this book, but also ultimately hopeful about the recourses you do have as a parent and a grandparent. There are options out there. All right, especially now. People are reconfiguring, figuring where they're going next year. Battle for the American Mind will help guide you. Congratulations. Thank you, Brian. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let's welcome tonight. He's got a face made for radio, but somehow ended up on TV. Host of One Nation on Saturday nights at 8 p.m., Brian Kilmeade. Kilmeade, how are you? Why do you care? I do care. I do care. I, I was feeling great about myself until... I heard my introduction. Oh, and it's really hurt my feelings. It's only because I tolerate you. Right. If he's not on the air, people worry that he'll want to hang out. Right. And if he finds out he's not on TV, he throws more tantrums than Joy Behar when the zoo forgets her feeding time. Your last name is got the word two words in it. Kill me. Right. So should people kill you? And that, is that my question? Yeah, I believe okay. it is. It, it, why do I do this show? I don't know. Because you love me. I have no idea. You love me. That was literally inter- interaction from Friday night, which we taped Thursday. But because of, what was Thursday again? What, what, the, we, the January 6th hearing. Oh, the January 6th hearing. So they put it on Friday. Uh, kind of interesting. And that's just a montage from the first half of the show. We didn't even go through the whole show yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's funny, you know, and then I think they kind of welcomed. They just took off. Then Greg just says, I'm not doing the five. I'm out. So he just took all Friday off. Um, quick thing. Uh, le- uh, the other thing we have not really discussed in about 10 minutes is going to go on with Stuart Varney, but we haven't really discussed uh, Joe Biden. And uh, the bottom is falling out of his presidency, and it's really by Democrats pulling it out. He says he wants to run again. But right now his approval rating is at 33 percent with the Quinnipiac poll. Overall, on the average, he's about 38 percent. That's below Donald Trump. And Donald Trump had not one friendly media outlet and a raging Russia investigation. But the, you look around and see the stock market. You see the economic numbers. You see the inflation. And you say, this guy can't possibly still do this job. Here's Rick Klein of ABC on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Cut 23. I'll tell you from the White House perspective, they're not too concerned about the dynamic for two main reasons. One is the whispers haven't become shouts. Uh, people aren't, aren't saying it very loudly. And one reason is that there isn't an obvious heir apparent for a lot of Democrats. A lot of people feel like Kamala Harris would be a flawed candidate. So there isn't an obvious someone that could, that could step in. And I think the second main thing is that Joe Biden did beat Donald Trump last time. And if Donald Trump remains a major presence, there's a lot of Democrats who feel like, look, there's really only one guy that's ever beat him. And that's Biden. 
Wow. I mean, that's an interesting, that's a fact, but it's an interesting way to look at it. But you have four years compared to four years. And right now, anybody thinking soberly knows that President Biden's from Afghanistan on foreign policy to how slow he was to arm Ukraine and the trouble they're having right now can date right back to that, to the fact that Saudi Arabia was alienated before he took office. And you see the Abraham Accords basically falling into tatters, his desperate uh, attempt to get the Iran deal going again at home, him just trying or destroying oil and gas to keep the nation cleaner has done nothing except for make us poorer. And in the big picture, it might even be Susan Rice that's doing all this. See, word is that uh, according to Politico, she's making almost all these decisions and she is now somebody they're looking to maybe be the next uh, the next uh, chairman of the choice, not chairman of the joint chiefs of staff, but uh, chief of staff. And goodbye, Ron Klain, who's absolutely awful. But what's crazy is he's got a bipartisan infrastructure deal. He has a, what could be the framework for a bipartisan gun deal. But nothing has to do with what he's done. He didn't bring anybody together for that bipartisan deal. They came in around uh, with, while he was in office. They came in around. He had all his demands of what he wants in a gun law. Almost none of it is in what they finally produced. So he's out there saluting the left every day. And listen to what the left thinks of him. Here's AOC on CNN. Cut 21. President Biden, he is saying he's going to run again in 2024. Will you support him? You know, if the president chooses uh, to run again in 2024, I mean, first of all, I'm focused on winning this majority right now uh, and preserving a majority this year in 2022. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But um, but I think if if the president has a vision and that's something certainly we're all willing to entertain and examine when the when the time comes. Right. His vision. His vision could be whatever it was. We're seeing his vision. It's a it's a plane crash. That's what his vision is. And unfortunately, we have to live through his vision. But that's the story. When you lose the left who you've been kissing up to, thanks to Ron Klain leading the charge and giving up your moderate status or somebody who's known to reach across party lines, that's gone. And they're not even impressed because he wasn't able to deliver Build Back Better uh, and some other things because there were sober people in the Democratic Party that said all this stuff is unaffordable and makes no sense. So for the most part, you have Republicans who are tougher on crime. You have Republicans who want to be energy independent. You have Republicans who are not perfect on foreign policy, but you know in the Middle East we're heading in the right direction, pretty clear. And now you have a belligerent China. You have a belligerent Russia like we've never seen before. You have Iran making inroads into Venezuela. They just set up a trade deal. And now you have Russia beginning to land warplanes into Nicaragua. Here's Bill Moore on the other things like inflation and gas prices and crime. Cut 24. Republicans appeal to people on the stuff closer to home. You're stepping in it. Human feces on the street. You're stepping in it. Yes, that's going to get people to vote. And the fact that gas, I know, very high. I read mobile park homes are uh, the prices. I mean, boy, when you're priced out of trailer living. (laughs) No, I mean, he's not kidding. So far, Joe Biden's approval rating has hovered around in the low 40s, but now it's 39.7. Worse than Trump's, I mentioned. Why it matters? Biden's window of opportunity for improving is closing quickly. And in the midterms, goodbye what he was been leading on the January 6th. You think that's going to last one day well, as soon as Nancy Pelosi goes either out to pasture or into minority? Not a second. In fact, they're going to reverse it and find out about all the things who are left out of the evidence of that day. Look. 
I thought on that day in particular, you know, I thought uh, about January 6th, President, that's not the way you lose. Losing really defines the character that you are. I don't care if it's big or small, whether it's the job you want or whether the college you want to get into, the game you're watching. If you lose, how you lose defines your character. The president was absolutely off his, off the rails since the election results came in on the 5th. But everybody around him that should have been like, hey, you know what? You, you know, I'm, I've been friends with you a while. You know how loyal I've been? I need you to calm down. You're over your skis right here. But instead, they walked away. Ivanka walks away. William Barr walks away. Mick Mulvaney walks away. Mike Pence basically walked away. Mike Pompeo went lower profile. So anybody around him to stay around were the people like Rudy Giuliani, who, according to these reports, was drunk on election night, yet the president looked at him as his chief advisor. Having said all that, there's no proof that what President Trump wanted to do was to take over the Capitol. And among the people who have said that is Rachel Maddow. I think her she's saying this for a different reason. But first, I want you to hear what she said last night. Cut 31. Just the key point that, yes, there was a pro-Trump rally at which the president spoke. And you can we can absolutely talk about all the things the president said there. But the idea that that rally is the thing that got out of hand and that somehow resulted in the breaching of the Capitol, that rally was very far from the Capitol. Yep. And the people who, as you say, did the initial breach that allowed everybody else to come in, they never even went to that rally. So she's saying you can't tie it together yet. And what they're doing with this investigation on January 6th is without any pushback, any Republican support, any prodding that Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger just refused to do. They're editing the uh, the answers they want from William Barr, who basically can get the same answers from his book on tape. There's nothing he's saying different that we didn't get in this studio in his two or three appearances here or in telev- on television. And now you have nobody sitting up pushing back. So instead of hearing both sides, you say, well, I'm only hearing one side. I question what I'm hearing. Because we've all got our antennas up to being manipulated. So I think that the president, uh, the current president, is not going to have that to live off of. We're gonna, he's going to have to live in reality. Or he's going to have to start cutting deals with the right. And I do hold to this, and I think I was the first person to say this. The worst thing that ever happened to President Biden was winning those Senate seats. Because that put him in the majority, and it raised expectations. He was going to get things done. He was never going to get Joe Manchin to spend all this socialistic spending. I, I was surprised that Kirsten Cinema even was uh, was standing up so strong in uh, Arizona, and I was definitely very, I don't know, heartened by the fact that in the wings they say that John Tester and some other moderates were also not in favor of any of this. So they, if they weren't going to do it, then the others weren't going to do it. Here's Larry Kudlow, Cut29. It's about policy and substance and what you're doing. And are you helping the country or hurting the country? Everybody in the country outside of the Biden White House understands that the country is vastly worse off. So he can't possibly run. But look, the semifinals is going to be in November. He's going to get slaughtered. The cavalry's coming and things are going to get better. Yeah, uh, the cavalry will be coming in the House. And if Herschel Walker and company can deliver in the Senate and J.D. Vance to hold those seats, that will certainly be interesting. Listen, when we come back, we'll do a simulcast on FBN with Stuart Varney on his great show. And we'll talk a lot then to be able to take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. 
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. one 408 7669 I promise I'll be able to get to your calls right up to this uh, in just a moment. We come to you from New York, heard around the country, around the world. And we'll have a chance to go on an FBM with Stuart Varney shortly. And one of the things we'll talk about is even if you're not a big golfer, you've probably heard this story. Greg Norman's fronting up this new league. It's called the uh, the Live Tour, and it's financed by Saudis. Uh, but I don't think and, – and Phil Mickelson, uh, 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 Bryson, DeChambeau, uh, Sergio uh, Garcia, and others have made the trip over there. So let's listen. We'll talk about it. As in Brian Kilmeade joins us now. Hey, Brian, I want to talk golf. The Saudis kicked off their new golf league that were met with anger from 9-11 families. Here's the quote. Live golfers should be ashamed. They're helping the Saudi regime sports wash their reputation in return for tens of millions of dollars. At the very same time, our government's rolling out more damning evidence of Saudi culpability in the 9-11 attacks. They don't like the Live Golf Tour. Where do you stand, Brian? Well, a couple of things. Saudi Arabia has never been a pure country. Not many people say, well, I'm so glad to be dealing with the Saudis. But compare them to the rest of the people in that neighborhood and compare them to what else is going on in sports. I mean, right now, the president of the United States has plans a trip to, let me see, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. Why? To pump more oil and gas. I'm just thinking about it. Newcastle is now being bid on by a prince in Saudi Arabia, Newcastle FC. Does that mean Newcastle fans should stop going? That oligarch, Obramovich, that owned Chelsea, that just won the championship. Oh, how do people feel about an oligarch uh, actually best friends and buddies in supporting Vladimir Putin, the Hitler of our day? So why will we go into Chelsea games? Manchester City is owned by uh, uh, one of these billionaire from the UAE. I know that we're about to go to the World Cup overseas at the UAE. They were using slave labor to build their stadiums. These people were treated horribly. A lot of them died building these stadiums. So in China, on a regular basis, the Uyghurs are being tortured. They're being destroyed. It's a genocide. But yet we still see nonstop interaction between the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, sure. everybody, soccer. Right. So where, right. why is the line on this league with Greg Norman heading it up, uh, who's been well, extremely popular and successful here as a business person, and yet Sergio Garcia and others going over there? It's not just Mickelson. It, that, that's for sure. There's big money to, to be made over in this tour. Greg Norman, it seems to me... Greg Norman is breaking the PGA monopoly. That's the big picture story here. What do you, where do you stand on that? I was texting with him, and that's it. He says, well, my goal was to always have some control. Uh, and we feel like we have, he felt like he never had really had control over his career during these days. Now, the PGA is set up as a nonprofit, but they are the only game in town. Remember, you wouldn't know this uh, firsthand, but the USFL gave a run of the NFL. For a while, the best players, Herschel Walker, Steve Young, and others, were going to the USFL. Jim Kelly, going to the USFL. It cha- the, you got changes in the NFL as they assembled uh, with the USFL as they uh, tried to merge. The ABA pushed the NBA to be better with Julius Serving and uh, Larry Brown coaching the San Antonio Spurs at the time. There eventually was a merger. I think it made the sport better. Now they're getting their comeuppance. You're not the only game in town. That might be a lot of this. I'm not speaking for the Saudi families, for the 9-11 families. I get it. No one's done more in the war on terror and more study and read more books about that than me. But I also know we're back in relations with Saudi Arabia, combining with them to wipe out ISIS and al-Qaeda. It's complicated. But don't make the stand this tournament. My goodness, you barred Donald Trump 
You 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 decide to move That's the right. PGA out of Donald Trump's courses. Guess what? The live tournament's going to be at Doral. So all of a sudden you want to boycott it. Our president, the PGA, <laughs> yeah. does. And no one's supposed to have a problem with that? In my opinion, at some point, the PGA has to back away from its threat to suspend all those players who go to the live tournament. They have to back off from that and accept that there are now two golf authorities in the world. PGA dominates still, but the LIV Tour is coming on strong. Last word to you. Uh, don't forget Dustin Johnson, too. I think you're 100% right. I understand the PGA wants to defend itself, but uh, and the 9-11 families have every reason to speak out, and Khashoggi was a brutal murder. But I'm, everywhere you go, you had a Russian, you have a, a Russian owning the New Jersey Nets when the New Jersey Nets and New York Nets for about 15, 20 years. Nobody spoke out about that. So yeah. I, I'm, like, surprised by all this outrage. Yeah, well, the money talks, doesn't it? Hey, Brian, I'm going to watch you on One Nation Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern only on Fox News Channel. Thanks, Brian. See you later. Uh, go get him, Stuart. Thank you. Still uh, ahead? Yeah, one 408 7669 Phil Mickelson's the guy they keep targeting. I'm not really sure why. I, I think as, as much as I think he's the second winningest golfer of his generation after Tiger Woods, I, off the top of my head, I think about 46 uh, PGA wins. Uh, he's won the U.S. Uh, I don't think he's won the U.S. Open yet, but I just think that they just like to beat him up. I mean, there's stuff about him. I mean, he's hardly walks on water. I mean, he lost over not that it's illegal. He lost over to some like uh, over a hundred million dollars uh, gambling on on different activities. So uh, we'll see about that. So uh, we'll talk about what's going on with that league. It's when sports meets real, the real world. But most of all, I just think it's ironic that people are outraged. And I give 9-11 families their due, but just be just as outraged as, as Joe, Bi- uh, Joe Biden for going over there to beg the Saudis in July, in a couple of weeks, beg them to pump more oil. Because he isolated them. That means we've got to deal with Iran and Venezuela, arguably just as if not more evil. Saudi Arabia dealing with Israel makes us feeling as though they're more amenable to our influence, perhaps. We also provide them with uh, a weapon systems to protect themselves against these missiles that keep on coming over from Yemen, thanks to the Iran-sponsored Houthi rebels. It's a complicated world. And for Joe Biden to come out and say they're a pariah nation, I'll never deal with them, knowing that we get uh, they're, they're part of OPEC, which controls the price of oil and gas, which is affecting those same people that Joe Biden's going to be dealing with today— Working-class Americans at the AFL-CIO. Happy birthday to the Army. Happy birthday to the flag. Army's 247 years uh, young today. And we had a little salute for them on uh, on the veranda today on Fox & Friends. Don't forget, Father's Day is coming up. You want a book about history that your dad will love? BrianKillMe.com. They're all there. Don't move. Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. This hour, we're going to be joined by Jonathan Swan of Axios. We always love that. And, of course, we're following the President of the United States speaking to the AFL-CIO on Flag Day, which is also the 247th um, uh, anniversary of the birth of the American Army, which predated our birth. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President Biden, he is saying he's going to run again in 2024. Will you support him? You know, if the president chooses uh, to run again in 2024, I mean, first of all, I'm focused on winning this majority right now uh, and preserving a majority this year in 2022. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Well, Biden bumbling has Dems virtually guaranteeing he'll be a lame duck, especially if the midterms are a, a blowout like many predicted, like me. What does that mean for the party and Trump's rebirth, who, by the way, virtually admitted he's running again? Number two. Well, I think there's a legitimate reason for having a relationship with Saudi Arabia if you're the president of the United States. Is there a legitimate reason for Phil Mickelson to have this relationship with Saudi Arabia or for Greg Norman to? No, there's no serious purpose for it. Again, this is simply greed, no more, no less. So is there anything different than going to China and what LeBron James is doing, what the NBA is doing? Richard Hosswing in hypocrisy. That's the only consistent thing in the PGA live controversy. Critics are slamming the Saudi back live, but uh, live tour, but says nothing when it comes to the relationship with the PGA or the PGA pulling out of a Donald Trump uh, sponsored event that it was on his course. Well, the NBA with China, we'll discuss it. Number one. Secretary Yellen said this week that, quote, there is nothing to suggest a recession is in the works. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. When inflation is as high as it is right now and unemployment is as low as it is right now, it's almost always been followed within two years by recession. The economy stressing this nation in a way I've not seen before. And not only is Joe Biden not getting a pass from Republicans, he's not getting much support from Democrats either. Uh, does anyone have any answers? Let's bring in Jonathan Swan of Axios. Jonathan, welcome back. It's been a while. How you doing, Brian? Hey, I'm doing well. The January 6th hearings, how do you think they're resonating two day, two rounds in? Well, that's the hardest question of it all. I mean, I've, I've never thought that these hearings would have much of an impact on public opinion. I think most people have made up their mind. We're obviously extremely polarized politically in this country, also in terms of media consumption. So I don't know that it's going to have that effect. And when I talk to, I mean, here's, here's the proof that Democrats don't even think it's going to have that effect. Is do you have, do you ever hear the Biden administration, the White House, talk about it? No, they don't. They're not leaning into this. They don't think that this is a, a message that's going to affect the midterms one way or other. They're they're trying to figure out a message about inflation and other things like that. So I don't ever. I I, I never thought it would have much of an effect on public opinion. Uh, that's a separate question from whether it's you know worthwhile exercise uh, in terms of uncovering facts, which I think it is. Um, you could obviously have criticisms about the way the committee, committee conducts itself, but uh, I'm gen- generally interested in seeing what they come up with. A couple of things. The one thing I think they, believe it or not, get hurt by not having anybody on the other side, because it makes you make your be your own judge. And when you watch edited tapes of montages of interviews that you know lasted for hours and there's nobody there saying, excuse me, uh, I, well, you know, he also went on to say this and he also went on to say that. And the revolution that the revelation that William Barr made could be picked out of his book on tape that's available at Barnes and Noble. 
So I, I thought a lot of that was they get hurt by not having a Jim Jordan try to hammer his side. Then you can honestly make a decision. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I don't think that um, this the construct of the committee is going to have an effect on Republican voters and change their mind necessarily. I'm, I, I'm not a public polling expert, but I, I, I think that if you just look at the approval rating of Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, they're not exactly popular with Republican voters. Um, I do think it was interesting the way that they presented having senior DOJ officials who work for Trump all basically say the same thing that they told him that these um, allegations that he was being fed were were bogus. Um, and as a presentation, it was powerful. Um, I don't know that there was much ameliorating when you talk about people like Donahue and Rosen at DOJ and PAC and Barr. I don't know that there was much context, frankly, missing from the way they cut that together. But I take your point um, in some of these other interviews. I'm sure, you know, Jared Kushner and Ivanka said things that, you know, wouldn't fit uh, the, the the narrative that they want to present in in the hearing. So I'm not suggesting it's you know uh, right perfectly contextual. Yeah. And, and by the way, just for the record, I think you know he lost. I, I and I think the way he acted after he lost was the worst period in his political career. And the fact that he still holds to that is going to be uh, going to be really detrimental to him running again. Britt Reume said this. What strikes me about this, Brett, is that. If they succeed, either by damaging him or staining him, such that he is either unable or, uh, for legal or political reasons, to run again, they might end up finding out that they've done the Republican Party a great service. Because I think a great many Republicans think they can't win with Trump at the head of the ticket again. Um, they're, they're afraid of his supporters and don't want to come out against him directly. Um, but they'd like him to go away. If the effect of this committee is to make his possible candidacy go away, I think a great many Republicans would privately be very glad. What about from your sources? Do you think he's you think he's right? Well, he's right in the sense that it's true that um, Republican elites um, in Washington and I think a large uh, number of the big donors in the party would would like Donald Trump to go away and would much prefer Governor DeSantis to to President Trump in 2024. But that's a separate question from whether this committee will have the effect of making Donald Trump politically unviable or legally unviable, and count me extremely skeptical uh, that that will happen. I think there's, it's very hard to imagine um, this committee having such an effect on Republican uh, Party public opinion. I'm talking about the voters now, not the elites, uh, that, that it would disqualify Donald Trump from being the nominee in 2024. I, I just, it's hard for me to imagine that happening. Uh, a couple of things that are resonating now. The revelation came out that uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle, Guilfoyle made $60,000 for a two-minute speech. And some people inside the Trump world, according to Maggie Haberman, inside the Trump world, not outside, are outraged by it because they raised a lot of small donors, donations, in order to fight for this election integrity. And that's not where they thought it would go. Yeah, that, 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 that certainly there are a lot of people sharing last night. I can tell you from my own sources, sharing that piece about um, Kimberly Guilfoyle, the, the CNN interview. Um, what's not clear to me is I know that there were actually a lot of high-dollar donors who contributed to that particular event on January 6th. So it's not clear to me that this was small-dollar donations, but, big but, 
there is a big question about um, the way money was raised in that post-election period. A lot of these fundraising emails went out to people saying, you know, give give whatever twenty dollars to stop the steal. To, you know, basically giving them the, the, the giving these small do- donors, many of whom are retirees who who have fixed incomes, the idea that if they gave a bit of money, they could help overturn the election, which was always uh, a fantasy. So there are real questions about how that money was raised and how that money was used, and it and it's a serious line of inquiry um, for investigators. Uh, Jonathan Swan, our guest, obviously. Jonathan, you had a chance to talk to President Zelensky over in Davos. Since that time, the, the war's not going nearly as well for the Ukrainians. Where do you think that stands for their effort? The Russians are pushing forward in, in the east, uh, and they're having some success and just on raw power and long-distance uh, artillery fire. What do you think that does yeah. for Zelensky in the war effort? The biggest risk for Zelensky right now, look, I, I spoke to him now probably a month ago. So I, I've interviewed him three times in the last 18 months, but that was the first time since the invasion. The big risk for him is basically that the West gets, I don't want to use the word bored, but that's almost the right word. Um, the, the West effectively loses interest. There was that intense period of, you know, Europe changing its foreign policy, Germany changing its foreign policy overnight, the U.S. getting rallied. But, you know, here's a, here's a kind of way to think about it. Do you think the next time a Ukraine aid package goes before Congress, it's going to get the same type of overwhelming bipartisan support it did last time? I don't. I think it's going to have a lot of opposition, particularly in the House. Um, so I think the, the challenge for Zelensky is this war becomes a war of attrition, his economy, the Russians, you know, choke off the ports. They, a lot of Ukrainian soldiers are dying every day. Um, it just becomes a really bloody, painful, long war. And Putin shows a high, you know, he's so invested in this. His, his whole regime and leadership is tied up in this. Um, and his own self-conception as a historic figure is tied up in this. So, I think that the real challenge for Zelensky, and this is why you see him almost every day do some kind of um, appearance on television or or online, is because he's almost having to basically uh, every day persuade the West, don't give up on me, don't ignore us, uh, stay engaged. And and, uh, it must be exhausting for him, um, but that's that's reality. It is. uh, I guess got to see the bigger picture, and the president's got to do a better job at selling on a regular basis uh, what the mission is and how it's bigger than just Ukraine. Uh, it could be the rest of the East, and we'll see. It seems like uh, foreign policy, you look at the president, we find out that Nicaragua is accepting Russian fighter jets now. That's interesting. Venezuela and Iran have set up a 50-year trade deal. That's interesting. The China is pushing back, threatening us for our, because of our support of Taiwan, as well as threatening us not to form a NATO uh, in their region. It doesn't seem like the foreign policy areas in area in which Joe Biden showing the strength necessary. Well, you, you forgot one, which is um, Saudi Arabia. Um, Joe Biden has had to uh, reverse himself completely um, on Saudi Arabia. Remember, he came into office calling Mohammed bin Salman a pariah and saying that you know he wanted to effectively uh, isolate him and turned out uh, very quickly they realised they needed the Saudis for a number of things, but particularly for oil. So they did this sort of quiet mission over there to start um, uh, saying nice things to, to 
MBS behind closed doors. But MBS doesn't want it behind closed doors. He wants a public show of affirmation. So now it looks like Biden's going to give him that. So the Saudi policy has um, has, has he's had to completely reverse himself on that. Um, uh, he's got a lot of troubles um, in many different parts of the world. I, I think so. Let's let's look at uh, another area in which politically people are debating over the over the weekend whether Joe Biden has a future running even for a second term. Here's part of the base he's been kissing up to has been the left wing, the the squad. Here's AOC. Cut 21. President Biden, he is saying he's going to run again in 2024. Will you support him? You know, if the president chooses uh, to run again in 2024, I mean, first of all, I'm focused on winning this majority right now uh, and preserving a majority this year in 2022. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But um, but I think if if the president has a vision and that's something certainly we're all willing to entertain and examine when the when the time comes. Is that an endorsement? Uh, uh, you're in Washington, <laughs> Jonathan. I'm trying to go in between the lines and look at the consonants and the vowels. What do you think? Uh, that is not an endorsement. Uh, and just, Brian, one, one thought experiment for your listeners is close your eyes, take yourself back to 2018, 2019, whatever, and try to imagine um, a member of the Freedom Caucus, the, the right-wing group in the House, saying something like that about Donald Trump. They would have been pledging absolute fealty to Donald Trump. So that is one of the differences uh, and one of the challenges Biden has is, as compared to Donald Trump, is the the left uh, activist base of, of the party is not enthusiastic about him, whereas Donald Trump, the, the right-wing activist base of the Republican Party, was extremely enthusiastic about him throughout his presidency. And it's a challenge. Um, I will say it's not that kind of equivocation is while AOC may be one of the rare people who's willing to say it publicly, it's not confined to her. There are many others who have private, deep private doubts about, uh, about the president's viability in 2024. And those people are not confined to, um, to the left wing of the party. They're, they're scattered throughout the party. Understood. Uh, Jonathan, your gut tell you Trump's running. It does, but you know, it's 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 always hard to predict what he's going to do. But every indication I've seen is is that he's going to announce that he's running. He's certainly giving that indication um, to his people. And and I'll tell you, I thought I, I think he, this may not be uh, still the case, but I actually thought he was considering doing it very very soon. Um, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, I, I was quite confident he was going to announce very soon or certainly this summer. I'm not quite just the latest things I've heard. I'm not quite as certain of that. But would it surprise me if he announces he's running before the midterm elections? It wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, Jonathan Swan, always insightful. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Go get him. 1-866-408-7669. I see see the numbers up there. We'll get to you. I promise when we get back. Uh, And then we'll actually we'll have two blocks to do that when we'll do a more to know. This is a big, big show. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
Republicans appeal to people on the stuff closer to home. You're stepping in it. Human feces on the street. You're stepping in it. Yes, that's going to get people to vote. And the fact that gas, I know, very high. I read mobile park homes are uh, the prices. I mean, yeah, everything. boy, when you're priced out of trailer living. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's... Uh, Bill, listen to WSKY. Hey, Bill, over in Florida. Yeah, uh, Brian, when the oil reserves run out, the question is not going to be how much is gas going to be. The question is going to be how much gas is there going to be. Uh, you know what? I'm not even sure where we're at with tapping into the reserves. But I just think that overall we just have a, a real meeting with the oil and gas companies to find out what it would need to get away the to get away some of the um, uh, you know some of the red tape that's stopping them from drilling, getting some permits out there. Yes, right. All right. Yes. Uh, thanks for thanks for the call. I mean, if you talk to people, they want to make money, no doubt about it. But who was bailing at the oil and gas companies when they were losing money? They were shedding jobs a year and a half ago. That was the deal. Now all of a sudden the money's coming up, but there's only a finite amount they can pump uh, because of the refinery capacity and because they were only equ- they weren't equipped for this type of fallout. So as oil and gas become scarcer, remember it was just in the middle of the ocean doing absolutely nothing during the pandemic. That many people were saying, let's bail out the oil and gas companies. Now that all of a sudden we need those barges, we need them in port, we got to get them here quicker. Uh, around the world, the demand is up. Now the price of oil goes up. Now you want to take some of their profits away. That to me is anti-capitalistic. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Ian O'Connor. We're going to talk about some of the fallout from this live golf tour as opposed to the PGA golf tour. What the reality is. Don't move. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Why do they need us so badly? Because those players have chosen to sign multi-year lucrative contracts to play in a series of exhibition matches against the same players over and over again. You look at that versus what we see here today, and that's why they need us so badly. You've got true, pure competition. That's why they need us. That's what we do. Uh, But we're not going to allow players to free ride off of our loyal members, the best players in the world. Uh, That's a PGA commissioner talking about uh, what they need. They need the elite uh, PGA players to join the live tour, which is headed up by Greg Norman. Joining us now is uh, the New York Post, Ian O'Connor, best-selling author. uh, And his latest book is uh, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, Ian, welcome back. Hey, Brian, how are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, nope, uh, always love having you on. Your column today about Phil Mickelson. You, you say the, the editor, the headline says it all. Phil Mickelson won't escape his new legacy. How can you live with yourself? You think he made a big mistake. I do. I, I understand he's got a lot of gambling losses he has to account for by his own public admission, Brian. But to cut a $200 million deal with these people, I just don't think he needed to do it. And he is going to take a massive public relations hit. I don't think he realized how big that hit was going to be. And in seeing his face and listening to him yesterday, 
here at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, he looks like a haunted man, as if he sold his soul here and he wants it back and he doesn't know how to do that. So I, I think he now realizes he might have made a big mistake. Uh, what about the others? Well, same thing, really, Brian. But, of course, Phil's the biggest star, and he got the biggest payday, so he's going to take the most heat. And so maybe some of the other players have escaped this a little bit. But uh, now I will say this. I do think they should be allowed to play wherever they want to play. And I also think the PGA Tour left themselves open to this kind of challenge because over the years, as you know, and you have a sports background, the PGA Tour offers no guaranteed money to anyone, including Tiger Woods. When Tiger in his prime started a tournament, he started with zero, just like the 126 guy in the field. That's not like LeBron James or Mike Trout or Aaron Judge or any of the stars in the other sports. They have guaranteed contracts. So I think as long as the PGA Tour didn't have that, this was inevitable. So you have uh, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, you have Patrick Reed, you have Sergio uh, Garcia, you... Dustin Johnson. Yeah, Dustin Johnson, uh, arguably the guy who's one of the biggest names in the sport, go over there. And as you know, Ian, because you have a knowledge of global sports, you know, the Saudis and the UAE and the United Arab Emirates, you know, UAE, uh, Qatar, all their, all their royal families own some type of sports team. I mean, now you have Newcastle. Some One of these princes is bidding for Newcastle over in England. You have, for the longest time, you have that oligarch, uh, uh, Abramovich, who owned Chelsea. There's just one... Uh, who just won a championship over there. I mean, Vladimir Putin, who he keeps in power and pays, is one of those as evil as evil gets. You have China, who is a, an open market. Uh, while they commit genocide with the Uyghurs, is open market for NBA and the NFL to a degree. Uh, all our leagues are marketed there. What's the difference with, with, with this situation? Uh, there really is, is no difference, Brian. And so it, it is surprising that, say, LeBron James and Adam Silver didn't take more heat for their business in China. The PGA Tour, by the way, also did business with China, with the PGA Tour China Series and the HSBC Champions event, which was in China. So uh, the tour had no problem uh, cutting that deal or deals with that country. So there's a lot of this. I think the difference is this. First of all, these golfers are independent contractors. They're not part of a team, so they can't hide behind the team and the organization. These, this is a very individual decision, and they're out front with it, public. And I also think this, Saudi Arabia, it's a little different because of 9-11, and you've seen the criticism from 9-11 families, 15 of the hijackers are from that country, and Americans have not forgotten that by, by a long shot. So I don't think these golfers, particularly Nicholson, realized that they were going to take that kind of criticism from 9-11 families, and I, I think that's really what's knocked Mickelson back more than anything else. So a couple of things. Now, I don't understand. Mickelson could still play in the U.S. Open, but they suspended the others? No, no. They're all suspended from the PGA Tour, Brian, but the PGA Tour does not run the U.S. Open. That's run by the USGA. And the USGA came out and said, we are going to allow these players to compete because they qualified. So they might be under PJ Tour suspension, but we're not going to disqualify people who qualify through our established criteria. So now next year, that might be different because the live golf circuit is not offering world ranking points right now. So this, this issue is going to come to the fore at Augusta National in April, the Masters. What is the Masters going to do with these live golfers? That is going to be very telling as far as the future of golf is concerned. Very interesting uh, to, to see where this goes. 
Uh, the other the other big story that that's going on in the in the world of sports, uh, I think, is on the positive note, the best NBA finals I've seen in quite some time. I mean, just great basketball. The ratings are through the roof, uh, and great, just like a bunch of great guys. And uh, I think it's great to have a storied franchise back in there in the Boston Celtics. I think that's helped, Brian, honestly. And, and Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time. I think there's a bigger difference or gap between Steph Curry and the next greatest shooter of all time than there is between Michael Jordan and the next greatest player of all time, probably LeBron James. I mean, we've never seen, and, and he had a terrible night last night, and, and Golden State still found a way to win the game. So it's been a very entertaining series, no question. I think the Celtics will win game six Thursday night, and it'll be fun to watch game seven. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, for, for New York fans, and we are in WABC and WRCN here uh, and WLIR, um, what the Rangers did this year was unexpected, uh, and you really saw that the New York fans were waiting for something to cheer about, and they finally got it. No offense to the Islanders, who got that far last year, but could you talk about that run? Well, listen, I'm not a big hockey guy, but I've been in that building in Madison Square Garden for the Rangers and their their last cup run, and that place is electric. The Garden in New York is electric when the Knicks or the Rangers make a run. The Rangers have done it recently. The Knicks, of course, it feels like 100 years, (laughs) but uh, it's a great atmosphere. It's a great sports town. And the Rangers, uh, they had their chance to go up 3-0. But I think what Tampa Bay showed you, the Lightning, is having won the last two Stanley Cups. They have a lot of championship muscle memory and DNA, and that ultimately won them that series. Yankees, this team, you talk about surprises. This was supposed to be, well, it's time for Cashman to maybe go. Let's break this team up. Now they're looking like the 1998 Yankees. Can you put in layman's terms what you've witnessed? It's the best Yankee team I've seen in a long time. They, they can beat you in so many different ways, not just with the home run. They're more athletic, running the bases better, catching the ball better. They just they look like the best team in baseball. Now, the 98 Yankees had won most of those guys in 96. So when I mentioned championship DNA and muscle memory before, 98 had it. This group does not. So they're going to be under an immense amount of pressure in October to win because they haven't done that since 2009. So I, I think it's all about winning 11 games in October, and let's see if this group can pull that off. Yeah, and lastly, you were all over Coach K in his final season, and now we're seeing some established coaches head for the exits. We're seeing Nick Saban brawling uh, with, with, uh, with Jimbo, uh, talking about what's happened with the NIL. Uh, you, you get the sense that college sports has changed forever, especially until they come up with these rooms with name, new rules for name, image, and likeness? Yes, it's chaotic. That's definitely one of the reasons Coach K stepped away. I think he has said publicly otherwise, but I don't believe that. It is uh, just unbelievable. Free agency has come to college sports. They're trying to figure out how to manage it. I don't know if there's any managing of it. And when you have schools and coaches getting involved with companies to, and secretly, because they're not supposed to do that, but you know what's going on, to put together deals for, for athletes, it, it's the Wild West out there. And so it is going to be fascinating to watch how this unfolds in major college basketball and football over the next five years. I mean, you're going to have an offensive lineman with like four dealerships uh, that he has to go <laughs> sign footballs on a Sunday. He could be making $200,000 while he's studying for physics or philosophy. I mean, it, what would it take for come in and just set up a criteria, set up a threshold? Outside the word booster, I don't see any rules 
Well, listen, Arch Manning, uh, the number one quarterback in, in the next high school class, probably the biggest recruit in the history of high school football, obviously uh, the son of Cooper and the nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning. Let's see what NI deals he gets, NIL deals he gets. I mean, that is going to set all kinds of records if he wants to do that. I'm not sure that's very important to him, but uh, the money is uh, completely uh, gone insane in college sports, and I, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Do you do you think he's going to be that good? I mean, from what you've seen, uh, I've only seen him twice, and yeah, I, I think he's more athletic than both Peyton and Eli. He's got the arm strength, and so that's how he's described by everybody who's really coached him and watched him more than I have. He's a more athletic Peyton and Eli. That, that sounds pretty good to me. I don't know about you, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's a lot of pressure too. But he seems like a very level-headed kid. And I know his father. His father Cooper is a very level-headed guy, and he's done a good job managing this process as best he can. I can imagine. I mean, he's the brother. He's got a great personality. We see him on Fox all the time. Ian, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, thank you, Brian. All right, you. Uh, uh, Ian O'Connor, New York Post, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We'll be back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you identify as a woman and you have prostate cancer, is a guy going to look for the prostate cancer? No, I identify as a woman, so I don't have a prostate anymore. Yeah, so, okay, sir, you have breast cancer in your balls. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, Brian, is your, uh, <laughs> me, I, heard, I heard from Ducey that you, uh, your pronouns are pompous and jerkface. Uh, no, those, that's just how he describes me. Uh, is any of this show going to air? Yeah. Because it's all going to be bleached. I, I, mean, I mean, for the most part, Tulsi, you and I are only going to actually be understood. Right. You've got no so, friends in this circle. Exactly. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, that is a little of the gut felt from the other night. It was a pretty crazy show, which I almost, I totally forgot. It seems like 10 years ago. Right? Last Thursday could have been three months ago. I know. Then it aired on Friday. Then there was this weekend. Uh, and we'll see. It makes you wonder if there's even more to know. More to know. All right, let's begin with the NBA Finals. I was just mentioning this to Ian uh, O'Connor. What a game. I mean, again, this is a fantastic series. Uh, the Celtics lose 104 to 94. They came all the way back. They were trailing early. Uh, Seth Curry uh, was, not, uh, was not great. 7 of 22 from the field. In the, in the end, the Warriors are now one win away uh, from securing their fourth NBA title. Game 6 is Thursday night uh, at 9 o'clock. It's in Boston. They force a Game 7. All bets are off. Next. Justin Bieber's updating his fans about this Ramsey Hunt syndrome. We even talked about this. Think about this. Can you imagine getting up and half your face is paralyzed? He can't blink. He can't move his nostril. He uh, can't move his uh, lips on one side. He says he can't even eat uh, because he can't control his mouth. He wanted to share a little bit of how he's feeling. He says, I'm reminding he knows, uh, he, he says, uh, each day has gotten better. And though through all the discomfort, I have found comfort in the one who designed Designed me and knows me. I guess he's talking about God. Uh, Justin Bieber took an Instagram to tell everybody about this. But think about it. the one thing that could hurt him. Something he has no control over. Nothing to his behavior. Just something. This happens very rare. One of over two hundred thousand people or something. 
Yeah, well, at least hopefully it's, uh, you know, getting better, right? How is, I guess I need to look this up, but how is that different from Bell's palsy, right, where your face can sometimes... I don't know. I, it beats me, but I hear people get that, and that you're, you eventually come back out of that. But, I mean, you talk about everyone's getting mad at him because he was canceling concerts, so he had to take uh, put do his own video. Next, uh, Elon Musk to attend a virtual all-hands-on-deck meeting with Twitter employees. This is odd because he didn't buy it yet, did he? No, not yet. Did not go through yet. Uh, he said he's set to speak at the company he's going to speak to at the meeting this week. It'll be the first time he's addressed employees since agreeing to buy the company back in April. Uh, Twitter confirmed the news, uh, and they say this. The meeting is set to take place. So in two days, Musk himself will be will be taking questions from employees, some of whom have repeatedly been troubled with this purchase. We all know that. Uh, the CEO announced that the meetings on Monday will be moderated by Twitter's uh, CMO, the chief marketing officer, Leslie Berlin. Twitter's employees have been upset, but he wants to find out, isn't he? Did he find out yet how many bots that they are following him? I do not believe so. He's been asking that question and it's yet to be answered. But um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to when the questions and answers get leaked. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I bet you it's going to be right away. I mean, people are going to be oh, hacking yeah. into this uh, right away. And the question is, is he going to be able to answer all? I'm sure he'll have very good answers, whether or not. They're what the employees want to hear is another story. But. Yeah, but the thing is, he's got to get a new valuation. The way I understand it, Tesla stock has dropped precipitously since. And so has Twitter stock dropped precipitously since. Uh, they actually cut the deal. Not only has the market dropped, but his questions, legitimate questions, have hurt Twitter. So if he walks away, not only does he have to pay a billion dollars, but Twitter's, uh, I guess, just a hulk of what it was. True, and then all those things, plus the economy and market overall has also gone down, right? So he, you know, contributed to that in that little isolated world, but then overall, too, the economy is down. It'll, it's, it's very interesting to follow. Next, hey, Mike Tyson back in the news because Ric Flair, the legendary wrestler, will call it a career. Uh, looks like Tyson has signed on to be part of the roast of a 73-year-old Flair uh, going down July 29th in Nashville, Tennessee. He's a big fight fan. In fact, uh, Tyson 2.0, a cannabis company, recently struck a deal with Ric Flair Drip, and the men will be selling different marijuana products, uh, possibly edibles. Will you watch? No. Yeah. Not really. (laughs) Uh, I don't think so. I just am shocked how many people are getting so rich off pot. And I think think it's absolutely hurting America's next generation. I would agree with that. So if you had the opportunity to make a ton of money with it, you would say no. I would say no. Uh, next, a majority of parents feel no shame in sharing a bed with their little ones. In fact, seven of ten believe the, the act should be normalized rather than stigmatized. What is your thoughts about that? One poll said 2,000 parents of kids under 10 reveal that 78% are aware of the pros and cons, but they don't care. 88% prefer co-sleeping with their kids because they believe it makes them feel closer to them. 51% say they co-slept with their parents as young children. 76% believe that kids today should eventually learn how to fall asleep independently. We all eventually have to fall asleep independently. That's pretty much a given. <laughs> that is true. I think it really depends on, like, do you let them fall asleep with you in your bed every night? Or do you, like, you know, help them fall That's asleep in their routine. room? What do you do? Um, we have them fall asleep in their room. You know, it's always a negotiation with uh, my five-year-old, right, every night. It's like, you sit here, you lay down, but, like, they need to fall asleep in their room. There are nights when, you know, he'll run in and he stays and then you with feel, us for a And then you bit. feel bad and you don't know if they're sick and, you know. Yeah. But you, same, when they best. do run in, it is, it's like in the middle of the night, they are cute. you got to take those snuggles in when you can. It doesn't happen that long. You never know when they're going to be 20. Next, sunny is money. 73% say that weather directly impacts productivity at work. 
Uh, one in four respondents claim that cool temperatures and clear skies have a connection to being more productive at work. It coincides with 43% who believe they do their best work in the spring. No surprise that 65% prefer working outside when the weather is nice. Lifeguards, for example, which we need some. There are There is a lifeguard shortage. I feel like when the weather gets very nice, though, people sort of just want to, you know, tap out and go to the beach. No, I do. I do. No, no. I do think people are more productive. You know what? You could always tell if people are going to be productive. It's what they choose to wear. If they pick out bright colors, they're in a good mood. If you notice, if you're in a bad mood, you pick out dark colors. Uh Uh-oh, I'm wearing navy today, so am I I in a bad mood? Did you pick it out last night or this morning? Oh, this morning. Oh, you're in a bad mood. Uh Thanks for listening. (laughs) Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.